0: Chase Thomas, podca- the Chase Thomas podcast. Um, <laughs> my nephew needs me to record. See, I, hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right. Hello and welcome back to a Tuesday afternoon, June 22nd, 2021 edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas and I am joined by John Taylor of Fangraphs.com as I am every single Tuesday afternoon. John, good evening, sir. How are you? bonjour how are you doing not too bad i'm a little nervous um what were your main takeaways from tennessee's 6-0 shutout loss to virginia on sunday you shot what in the who know? <laughs> so you missed it john you 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 did not catch the sunday afternoon college yeah
1: I, I i didn't even know that was a thing i i, I missed out on that one
0: mm how, well, did you go to any college baseball games when you were in undergrad? How? What is the Ivy League scene like with college baseball?
1: Yeah, I, I covered Columbia baseball when I was there for a couple of years. It's very boring. Um, <laughs> you don't see a whole lot of you don't see a whole lot of top flight players really. Um, the best players you see are usually. I mean, like I saw. I mean, I guess probably the best player I saw in my time there was Ryan Lavarnway. Man. Um, who who's carved out a decent career as a, as a major league backup or as a at least a kind of minor league backup or, or whatever. I think he just signed with a team a few weeks ago, but yeah, I uh, you don't you don't get a lot of super high quality baseball in the Ivy League. It, it's not really where we play where big time players go. Interesting.
0: Yeah, um, I don't know. the The Vols played too, so it's over a little bit earlier today. But uh, blanked. Uh, it was it was it was tough. Uh, you'll know the name of the uh, starting pitcher for the Virginia Cavaliers, uh, Mr. Abbott, who is a lefty, and he's I think ranked by Kylie McDaniel of ESPN like the sixty first overall prospect. So yeah, they got him. But uh, the Hoos are throwing out an zero five like seven point six five ERA guy. Today, which is just very frustrating, John, that uh, he was not on the mound on Sunday. So, do or die with the battle for real. UT, Texas, and Tennessee. Who do who do you have, John? Um, a team that uh, that one of the T tea teams. This is this is an easy. It's a slam dunk. It's a. I'm throwing it right down the middle to ingratiate yourself to to my Tennessee fandom, and my Tennessee listeners. All you have to say is just the balls. Obviously, how many t- how many Tennessee listeners do you have? pretty fair amount sir okay i mean i do the rocky top let's rock every friday we got uh, tennessee coverage all around the place got a lot of tennessee I, 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 i'm not trying to say i'm the king of knoxville at this point john but um people are talking people are talking um no it's it's okay um in unpleasant news john i feel like we have talked about the minnesota twins a lot season from hell the diamondback season from hell in the nl but byron buxton your guy byron buxton gets hit by a pitch last night his left hand and it is a boxer's fracture had you heard of this phrasing before i did not know this is a thing i had never i had
1: never heard of that but i do find it amusing not amusing but maybe fitting that byron buxton has managed to suffer injuries that aren't even baseball related
0: yeah it is uh that's not great And he was just like, what? What does this mean for the twins? What does this mean for a season? Um, is it just it, this? Is not even like an injury plagued person type deal? This is just like he got hit really hard in the hand. Like I, I mean, it's a new type of injury that we hadn't heard before. But like, I don't know. He just got hit by a pitch in a bad spot. Like I don't know if we can add this to the list of like maybe Byron Buxton is just never going to be healthy. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, on the one hand, you're right. It's a fluke injury. Any hit by pitch is a, is by definition a fluke injury. Um, I think the issue with Buxton has always been, you know, health is something that is a tool, so to speak. It's just under a little less control, I imagine, than all the actual other tools like, you know, hitting and power and running and all that. But it is definitely a skill being able to stay healthy. And even though this isn't, this is a, like we said, a fluke injury on a hit by pitch. This is Buxton. I mean, the injury he suffered before that was not, that was... A guy who goes seemingly a hundred percent after every ball and runs hard all the time and just invariably his body doesn't seem to be able to stand up to it, which just bums me out, especially given that um especially given the way he has taken that step forward. I think everyone was waiting for him to take this season. And in the brief period of time he was active again, he was hitting quite well again. So I mean, as for what this does to the twins, long term nothing really. He'll be back from this. You know, it's a broken hand, they'll be back in four to six weeks. Short term, uh, I mean the Twins were already pretty well out of the playoff race at this point. Obviously, but they had won
0: five straight. They were they had won five little,
1: straight. Yeah. Um, so there is that, and that's not to say that they were completely dead, especially given the AL Central is a mess, and that neither of Chicago nor Cleveland is, uh, the strongest team right now. But even with those five straight wins, their playoff odds are only back up to three percent. They're still ten games under five hundred. They're still only projected to win seventy eight games by our by our metrics, like. I think obviously losing Buxton makes it that much less likely than they make the postseason. I do wonder if part of Minnesota's plan was okay, we get Byron Buxton back healthy, and we kind of start a run from there. I need to. I I don't know who else if they're kind of still missing anyone health wise. They thought maybe okay, maybe it's the equivalent of like a second half burst. You know, we get we get Buxton back. We get uh, well actually, really it it really was mostly Buxton. I guess depending on what happens with Josh Donaldson, but. Yeah, but they've gotten Kent back, and maybe he rounds into shape. Oh, I guess they have um, Michael Pineda on the injured list as well. But that just hasn't happened, obviously. And I I think at this point, like, there aren't really any, in, like, uh, as noted, Buxton was really the biggest internal reinforcement coming back for this team, uh, depending on how you feel about Pineda and depending on how you feel about Maida, Meda, Mehta's seeming, like, return back to being Kenta Meda. I have to imagine that the Twins front office probably doesn't think there's much of a chance left at this point. Again, 10 games under 500, 12 games back of Chicago. Uh, I'm not sure what the wild card position is, but if you're 10 games under 500, it's probably not good anyway.
0: Well, you're um, out anyway. The AL East is in the AL West. Have yeah, the, AL East, like, the AL A's best. would have to fall off the cliff or Astros and you have like the Rays and right. the Blue you're Jays are the fourth best, of, best team in the AL East and they're a good for yeah,
1: team. Yeah, you're asking for two, uh, or one of Boston, Toronto, New York, Houston, or LA, not to, or LA, sorry, Oakland not to make the playoffs and that yep. just seems very unlikely, so... I think maybe maybe Buxton just ends up kind of being the like the last or one of the last nails in this particular twin season coffin. Um, I think we talked a little bit about how we wouldn't be surprised if they were sellers at the deadline. The question is kind of who can they sell off aside from guys who are going to be free agents next year like Andrelton Simmons or Nelson Cruz or, you know, if someone for some reason is interested in J-Hap, but I. I think for the most part, the, I mean, the box and it just sucks in general. I really wanted to see him keep playing the season or at least not have to get injured again. But I do think if, if there is one more likely than not like done, um, consequence of this, it's said that the twins are probably out of this at this point. Probably. I mean, they've been out of this at this point, but I, I think there was probably a lot banking on bucks and coming back and kind of helping to spur
0: things. And that's obviously now not going to happen. um, the Tampa Bay Rays, uh, they are going to have the debut of Wander Franco tonight, John. How mm-hmm. excited are you to see Franco make his debut, the number one prospect in baseball, for the Tampa Bay Rays tonight? And what are your summer to fall expectations for him? So it's interesting
1: because in, in Franco, I mean, I when was the last time we really got like a, a consensus number one prospect who got called up? Was it Vlad? I don't even know if Vlad was consensus number one, but... I guess it's and when I think about that, it's not actually that we haven't even seen them that often. We've gotten Vlad, we've gotten Tatis, we've gotten obviously in years past Harper and Trout Hayward. and sorry Hayward, Hayward, uh, Ronald Acuna, obviously. So yeah. we've we've gotten plenty of top prospects who've come up recently. I think what's interesting, if not stand out, about Franco and this is just going by. I I haven't watched him play because um, I haven't not been much of a Durham Bulls fan, so I've missed out. But so, I mean, I've been going pretty much entirely off, you know, prospect list. So I'll just go to the Fangraphs one just because this is what stands out to me, obviously, is a guy who gets was who an 80 overall grade on him, which I think is the first and only time Fangraphs has handed that out for a prospect. So you can get excited based on there. Every tool is currently graded at present a 45 or better. 60 grade on his hit, 55 on his raw power, 60 on his run. The, the kid is above average in every single thing he does. And I'll note something else we actually had today up at Fangraphs from, from Eric Long and Hagen. We do a daily prospect notes every day, and today's was just focus on Franco because there was, uh, there were a few minor league games yesterday, but also because he is coming up. And in that article, Eric dove into using some stats generated from a video software program called Synergy, and basically made the note that Franco never swings and misses, and just makes a ton of contact. You know, he's he's at the level, contact-wise, of guys like uh, Adam Frazier and Alex Verdugo and DJ LeMay, Michael Brantley. These are, these are names you want to be at when it comes to contact and avoiding swings and misses. Um, as Eric described him, a remarkable bat-to-ball prospect who also happens to have relevant power while occupying a valuable spot on the defensive spectrum. So I think that's the thing about Franco. I don't know necessarily if he's going to be the type of hyper-electric Tatis or Acuna-style player. Who hits these huge bombs and, and steals bases with a plum and it's just a, a, a ridiculous fielder and has all the swag. I don't know if we're gonna see that, but I do expect to see a, a prospect who, you know, based on the scouting, based on based on the stats, should immediately slot in as a viable, valuable regu- uh, major league regular, which is crazy considering he is 20 years old. You know that that's the wildest part. He is 20, and we're already talking about someone who probably has. Uh, an all-star floor right now so that it's a obviously a huge thing for the Rays. it makes them deeper it makes them more versatile and i think it's a nice boost to them too coming off this uh losing streak they're on that you know any any amount of talent at this point can help
0: yeah i'm just it's not even like really the offense that i'm worried about with the Rays. it's more about the pitching with Glasnow now being gone and who knows how right he'll be for the rest of the way um i i don't know there was a there was a piece this week about from david uh, Schoenfield on espn.com uh one big move for each uh major league baseball team ahead of the deadline what stood out to me was max Scherzer being an option for the rays just because his 2021 money is weird and his contract stuff next year they don't have to pay him any like there's actually like a way the the way the Tampa Bay Rays operate that would make max Scherzer make sense there um what what do you make of that and was there another name on that list that stood out to you and Do you think the Nationals are at a point where I think they're like three games under 500 and five games out of first, at least as of this recording, they're right there with the Braves. But um, what do you what do you think about all that? Yeah, I I don't know. The hard thing with the Nationals
1: is they've had opportunities in the past to make moves like that. Obviously, they had an opportunity in the last year of Harper's contract. Uh, They've had opportunities in the past to move other veterans when they've been struggling. I mean, I guess the fact that they are in third place in a division that is just kind of an open-ended mess would probably lead me to believe that if Scherzer, especially if he come, if he's healthy coming off that, what seemed like a minor groin strain, leads me to believe that they will keep him through the deadline if they're remotely close, if only because I also imagine that, you know, for all the value Scherzer has, you know, for what he offers on the field and particularly what he offers in the postseason, I don't know how many teams are really going to be lining up to offer the kinds of uh, players who would make enough of an impact for you to move for you to move him. I mean, he is a 37 year old free agent to be who, you know, despite his amazing numbers, is still a 37 year old pitcher with thousands of innings on his arm. Um, I can't imagine there would be too many teams interested other than the locked in contenders who may just need one more starter for the postseason or might be a team that because I feel like and this is probably the case depending on who else is available. But I feel like they're more likely than not going to be cheaper pitching options for those teams that want them if they don't feel like paying the Scherzer premium. And so to me, that leaves teams that are honestly, I would, I what is I was trying to get it is I'd be more, I feel like it'd be more likely that a already kind of an playoff team would be the one going after Scherzer. I mean, theoretically can make the most impact for, for a borderline team. Like I'd love to see what he could do for the Red Sox, obviously, But I don't think a team like Tampa is going to want to part with the prospects. I don't think and I also don't think the money that he's still owed for the rest of the season makes really makes it work for them. I could see a team like Houston maybe giving it a shot. That would be super interesting if they wanted to try to bring Scherzer on board um, to kind of give themselves that one more reliable arm beyond Granke and I guess McCullers, uh, assuming they don't get Verlander back this season. Uh, fascinating to me would be like the Mets or something, but I I can't see the Nationals ever doing that. No. Um. Beyond that, I mean, if the Giants really decide they want to go for it, uh, I know they already have a a legitimate number one pitcher in Kevin Gaussman. This would give them not only a second, but also a guy who you know they can line up for playoff starts. The only question, of course, with the Giants is, are they really going to want to go for it when they have very good chance of making the playoffs, but a very low chance of winning the division because of the Dodgers and the Padres, even though they're you know, two games up on L.A. and four and a half up on San Diego. We still give L.A. the overwhelming uh, favorite or the overwhelming odds in in the NL West. So that obviously has to be taken into consideration. But I, I don't know. I don't know really what the best fit for Scherzer would be. I'm just kind of spitballing. But I do get the sense that it won't matter if the Nationals are anywhere within uh, range of first place in the NL East. They're only five games back right now. Even though that only amounts to a 5% playoff odd because, you know, same as the American League, it's going to be really crowded for the NL wildcard race between two of those three NL West teams, more likely one of the two central teams that is Milwaukee or Chicago. Another one of those NL East teams like Atlanta is probably going to be in that mix. I I, I just think it's going to be, I I think it might end up being something where Washington just kind of decides, you know, what we're going to get back is just not worth it. We might as well just let it play out with Scherzer, see if we can get close. And if not, we offer him a qualifying offer, he turns it down, we get a draft pick, and or maybe we bring him back. You know, Maybe, maybe this is something where Scherzer likes DC so much that he's just willing to come back on a two- or three-year contract with a high AAV, but that doesn't tie up uh, the Nationals' long-term finances beyond that.
0: If he does that, though, I think he would need like some assurance from the learners that, like, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna make up for the Rendon Harper departures. Like, we're gonna yeah, and, that, and that's and the thing. They need, there's no he help on, on a, the way. They have the worst farm system in baseball right now. There's no internal options to replenish this group around Soto and friends. You have to be active on the trade market or in free agency.
1: Yeah, and that, and that's kind of the thing. It's like if you if you keep Scherzer, that means two things. One. Like you said, because this is a bad farm system, you've you've thrown – not thrown away, but you've passed on your biggest chance probably of anyone on the roster who isn't named Soto or Trey Turner to increase the talent level in that minor league system through whatever Scherzer would have brought back in a trade. Second, if you keep him and make plans to re-sign him, then you have to go out and add more through free agency as well. You can't just bring back this exact same Nationals team. And hope that everything is going to turn around in 2022 with with better health and maybe better results out of Soto. You need to go out. You need to add pieces. You need to make this team better because – and this is the thing. Like I don't – looking at this Nationals team. I don't – they haven't been – on. I don't think they've been unlucky. And I don't think anyone's going to argue they've been unlucky. I think this Nationals team is what it is. They're bang on their Pythagorean record. This is just not a particularly good roster I right know There are just a lot of holes. A lot of guys miscast as starters like Josh Harrison or Starlin Castro – you know, th- th- this is a team that needs that needs work done in the offseason. I, I almost wonder if they're better off moving Scherzer and just kind of refocusing and rebuilding a bit, maybe retooling around uh around Soto, extending Turner, you know, giving some space to guys like I guess Andrew Stevenson has kind of fallen on his face, but kind of letting some of the younger guys on that roster like I I know like they're giving the time to Eric Fetty right now, and I guess Joe Ross is technically still young. But, you know, kind of seeing what else there might be there, or maybe just more of a soft rebuild where they let go of the high price veterans and just try to do something kind of what more what the Giants or the Red Sox were doing in the last couple of years, which is just kind of cycling through some younger options, improving the farm system, cutting payroll. I think that's more likely than not going to be the path the Nationals choose, because I think this particular window has also probably closed regardless of whether or not Scherzer stays.
0: I don't know. Like the Nationals would not surprise me either way. I, as a Braves fan, I think. Like, I mean, I think the, they the big problem me.
1: with them is yeah. they can't count on any starter who isn't Scherzer right now. Mm. Patrick Corbin is a total coin flip. Strasburg is hurt. Uh, uh, Fetty has no good track record. Joe Ross has been fine. He's a he's a back the rotation starter. John Lester, despite his surface stats, has viciously bad peripherals and is almost certainly going to slow down in the second half because that's been his thing for the last few seasons. The bullpen is not particularly strong. The offense doesn't have a whole lot of depth. I, I, I think this is just like, I think the best case scenario for this Nationals team is 500 at this point. Mm. And if that's the case, how valuable is Scherzer to that versus whatever you can get from whatever team happens to have interest in him, even if you have to eat some money, you know, because again, keeping Scherzer for next year, you have to do more and looking at the contracts the Nationals are going to shed aside from Scherzer um they still owe a ton of money to strasburg a ton of money to corbin uh their turner is trey turner is heading into his last year of arbitration eligibility and is probably going to be pushing 20 million on that i mean they're going to let go of guys like turner cast or i'm sorry castro dan hudson probably brad hand uh maybe Jan gomes they have a very cheap option on on or relatively cheap option on kyle shorber that's good but also this is going to be the first year of soto's or the sec first year of arbitration for soto that's going to get big they have a lot of a decent amount of money committed to the books already for next year, 69 million plus another 11 and a half in option values and maybe some 30 some million in arbitration. You know, th- there's not really, there's payroll to shed if they can find someone to bite on Corbin or if they can negotiate a long-term deal with Turner that kind of spread some money out. But otherwise, and this is a team that always feels like they're financially leveraged to the hilt. Um, I'm not, it does feel like there is a lot of work that would need to happen with Washington to make them a true contender next year. And like you said, none of that help is coming internally because that farm system is not good enough to provide that help. They need to go all in on free agency and trades. And I just don't see how they're going to do that if they, if there is a a desire to keep that payroll, you know, in a, in a certain range, which given that this is major league baseball, I assume that exists, that there is probably a real desire to keep that payroll to a certain number, well below the luxury tax.
0: But the Lerner family, I think, is one of the ones that you have to wonder because they have been committed and they have been a top five payroll for a long time. Um, the True. Lerner family, I don't know. They don't seem like Lerner and Rizzo do not seem like a ownership front office front office group that is all that enticed by turning into a uh, long term rebuild in a hot spot no
1: and and that's the thing the learners don't give off that vibe of long-term rebuild i that's Mm. why i think more of a soft rebuild along with san francisco and boston have kind of done Mm. is if you're the if you're in charge there maybe you can sell the learners on we're not going to be competitive next year but this window has closed we need to improve this farm system we need to get younger you know let's try that and let's see if we can't do like San Francisco and Boston have done and turn it around quickly by making the right investments in free agency and getting some more young, cost controlled guys, because as I don't know, like this roster has turned over pretty fast and doesn't really have a whole lot of youth left on it, especially in the pitching side. So,
0: you know, they've they've got to make some decisions there at some point. Um Javier Bias getting benched for losing track of the outs while running the basis. Well, what what do you make of the decision to bench him.
1: I mean, I think it's. A, I think it's something you. I mean, you, you can't have a guy not just bias didn't just lose track of the. out He lost track of the outs two times <laughs> within the same inning, and you
0: can't really do that. Can I offer and, a counterpoint just, for him? Can I offer a defense? Yes, he may have done what I had done this weekend, John, which was binge mayor of Easttown, okay. and he was he was reeling from just okay. how good of a six-part miniseries that it was. I, I thought you
1: were going to say he was reeling from just the heaviness of it. I mean, it sounds like too. a very
0: heavy show. It's a very heavy show. It's probably okay. one of the best TV shows I've seen in, in several years. Like it's okay. unbelievable how good that TV show is. All all I know about it is that Kate Winslet vapes and does a pretty good Delco accent. <laughs> Both are true. She vapes a lot. There's a lot of vaping on that show. There's a lot of yangling product placement. There's a lot of, of um, has to be. Yeah, legally or... rock. Yeah. I don't know. You're not
1: allowed to shoot a movie or TV show in Pennsylvania that doesn't have Yingling or
0: Rolling Rock prominently involved. Apparently not. Apparently not. But it's a delight, and I just think that Javier Baez. We can't roll out that he was just uh, thinking about that ending. No, and that
1: and that's fair. But I think if you're David Ross, yeah, you don't really have a choice. A guy commits two dumb errors like that in the same inning and gets himself doubled off. I mean, that that's the kind of stuff where I feel like. I mean, obviously, never played, never been a manager. Caveats as as always. I feel like that's the kind of thing where it's like you have not even make an example, but that you you've got to make a point of showing the rules apply to everybody, including the stars. You fuck up like that out there, you go on the bench. Um, and I think that's probably just smart on David. I mean, the nice thing is you you heard nothing about it post game. I don't think you didn't hear Baez complaining. You didn't hear any other teammates complaining, which gives me the sense that this was handled correctly and that everyone understood what this was. That this wasn't like. This wasn't out of line. This wasn't vengeful. This was you make a mistake. You will. There will be consequences for it. And I think it's important just to remind a team of that every now and then that, hey, nobody is special here. Nobody is above the rules. You know, I am the I am the final authority here. And if you displease me, you're going to hear about it. And I think every manager pretty much has to do that at some point.
0: Yeah, that's true. That is true. Um, Jacob DeGrom had his 12th straight start with one or zero earned runs, which passed Bob Gibson's record for a traditional starter. John, how is he doing it and how is it sustainable that this is just a thing?
1: Uh, magic. He's doing Ooh. it through magic and the fact that he's actually Walter Johnson traveling forward in time. I have no idea how DeGrom is doing this. He is one of the most unreal, baffling things that has happened in baseball in a long time. This dude who just basically taught himself how to throw 100 miles an hour with a 93-mile-an-hour slider that has stupid movement and spin. It makes no sense. What I found so funny about last night's start was when the umpires came out to do their their sticky substance check, DeGrom got to be the, the first to receive that treatment and found nothing because it, it just it's just so perfect. Nothing. Jacob DeGrom doesn't need help. He doesn't need sunscreen or rosin or spider tack or gorilla glue or whatever the hell else other guys use. He, this is just how good he is on his own. The only comparison I have in my mind right now is 99 Pedro, who was so good it just felt like he was playing another sport entirely. You saw guys go up there with just no no chance, no chance to make contact, no hope of doing anything other than maybe making Pedro Martinez waste three pitches to strike him out. And I think DeGrom is in that same place. I mean, I know you watched that start because the Braves were prominently involved. That first inning at bat that Ozzy Albies had where DeGrom threw him two sliders and Albies swung like he had literally never seen a slider before. You know, and that's that, that's a good hitter in Ozzy Alsby's who who's seen many sliders in his lifetime and has probably hit a lot of them very hard. And here he is swinging, not just swinging over the top, but just looking like he decided to swing when the ball was already like 95 percent of the way to the plate. Like he had just then decided he was going to swing and then throwing out this half swing sword as a uh, as pitching ninja does just looking comp- I don't understand how DeGrom does it. I don't understand how he is like this. I don't understand how he has built himself into this. It is genuinely fascinating to watch. He is the best pitcher in baseball without even a question. There's n- number 2 is Garrett Cole and it is such a big gap in my mind. It, it's not even it's not fair. Every Jacob DeGrom is the stupidest. His ERA plus is close to 800. He's almost 800% better than the league average right now. Doesn't make any sense. How can you be 800% better than something? He leads the majors in ERA, ERA plus FIP, WHIP, hits per nine, strikeouts per nine, and strikeouts per walk. That's Pedro. That's Pedro. Come again. That's just how it works. You just apparently once a generation we just get a Pedro, and this is ours at 33 for the Mets. So let's all have fun with that as he assuming he stays healthy waltzes to what will be his third Cy Young award in four years. And you could make the argument pretty easily that, you know, if, if writers had been a little more skeptical of Bauer and a little more pushy about his sticky stuff, RPM, whatever, you could make an argument that, that, that DeGrom could have won last year. It would have been, I guess him or Darvish. We're talking about someone who would, in an alternate universe is on his way to his fourth straight Cy Young award. That's unreal. That is absolutely crazy. What a pitcher! What a player! I don't like it, John. Well, I know you don't like it, but that's your problem.
0: Nah, I don't like it.
1: I like it a lot. It's fun. It's fun watching Jacob Degrom pitch. He's immortal.
0: So when he's not uh, not pitching, it's the Braves. Like yesterday,
1: that that's when it's okay. Fun. Well, that, then, then the then the Braves are the problem here. <laughs> is what I'm is what I'm seeing.
0: Um, Kyle Gibson, yes, is five and zero. Yes, with a two point one seven ERA. Um, wow, the Rangers may have stumbled into something here like this just never ends why did i not why did we overthink this because they do this now all the time with mike minor lance lynn they're just the the old pitcher rehabilitation factory like yeah you, i, I want to look
1: at
0: i want to play a game where i'm going to look at next year's uh, free agent
1: starting pitchers <laughs> and try to decide who the rangers are going to sign to some weird two or three year contract where you all just look at each other and go what are you doing and then that guy turns into a top five AL Cy Young contender um I'm ready for this game. Who who do you have? Yeah, I just want to pull up the lit here. We go. Okay. Uh it's not gonna be Granky.
0: <laughs> no. <laughs>
1: uh let's see. We've got let's keep scrolling. Kevin Gaussman, I guess, would have been the guy if he hadn't turned into that guy. Uh I'm gonna hurt your feelings and just say Drew Smiley.
0: Oh god. Oh god.
1: Yeah, it's bad. Here here's some intriguing options though. Garrett Richards. Mmm. Zach Davies. Mm-hmm. Dylan Bundy. Oh, Dylan Bundy's the answer. Oh, here, here's one that is, here's here's a real one. J. Happ. Yeah. The Rangers turn J. Happ around, then they then clearly something is really or Arietta, If they sign 36 year old Jake <laughs> Arrieta and him into a
0: useful starter again,
1: I like this bit that the Rangers are doing.
0: They're terrible, but they're uh, they're doing some good work for the vets.
1: Doing. got to bring work. Martin Perez back. Mmm to try to work their magic on him. I mean, there are some, there are some guys here, like John Lester, Stephen Matz, John Gray, Julio Tehran, uh, Jose Araña, where you're like Matt Moore. There are just some names here where you're like, yeah, Merrill Kelly. Um, you know, any one of those guys, I think at this point, if they end up with Texas next season and mentally you're already projecting in your head, okay, that guy's going to be have an ERA under three by the start of June and is going to be all over the trade market. So I, I, I'm excited for that to happen.
0: John, I got the stat of the day for you. Are you ready? Yeah. The Arizona Diamondbacks losing streak is over.
1: Hey, congrats to they the Arizona
0: Diamondbacks. That's the stat. Yeah, they won their last being game. Less, being less ass. <laughs> it's not even that. Like, they just got destroyed with injuries. Like, I don't know if we've ever seen a team get just decimated like they have with bad luck. Like, they are the most bad luck team in baseball in a long time, I feel like.
1: Yeah, it's it's a real problem for them, and I know we talked about them last week, that they went from this kind of pseudo like quiet pseudo-contender to just this, and I do think you're right, that there's just been a lot of, they've had a lot of depth issues, they've had a lot of injury issues, they've had a lot of guys who've just, you know, they, they just haven't had a lot of depth, and it's obviously only going to get worse as they start trading guys like Eduardo Escobar, or um, Azdrubal Carrera, whoever else, but yeah, I mean, I guess, like we talked about last week, I, I don't really know where the Dimebacks go from here. They have a good farm system, but it's still a couple years away from turning out, I think, guys who are ready to make an impact. So, yeah, I mean, I think this is just going to be this team for a couple years. It's just bad without a lot of interesting pieces, uh, just kind of quietly existing on the margins and waiting for those prospects to show up. I mean... I, I guess it makes sense given the timeline and the rest of the NLS that the Dodgers Padres and Giants are all good right now. And the Dodgers and Padres are certainly not uh, one year wonders. They're going to be good for a bit. And maybe that's the Giants too. Their farm system is, is, is getting much stronger. So it's just kind of a tough spot for Arizona to be in generally. Like this is already a division with two super teams and now you have the Giants getting better too. I mean, at least I got the Rockies to keep them company down in the basement. So that's nice.
0: Yeah. Well, the main event of this program tonight, John. There is a really good piece by Tom Pericci um in si.com this week. Shout out, main. Yes. Yes. Um, just a great writer. Love reading his stuff. Um an impeccable and just all kinds of great reporting so going on at si.com. Um but uh they like so he has this good piece about he spent some time with Capler and Uh, this team, and I hadn't realized just like the impact of Andrew Bailey, Brian Bannister. There were some. Let's remember some guys in this Giants uh, pitching staff now. Yeah, I mean, you look at how they've put together this new staff with Sanchez, as you alluded to, with Kevin Kausman. Um, with I'm never going to pronounce the guy's name right. There's zero chance I'm going to be able. What is it, dissent What is it, Tony Disco? Is that it? Anthony De- De Sclafani, yeah, Tony Desclafani. De no, that's what I'm saying. Like, De- how do you say his last name? Desclafani. De Sclafani, Okay. Yeah. There you go. I was very hesitant to say his name, but anyway, they are a ground ball machine. Like they are number one in baseball and putting balls in the ground. All their pitchers have shifted their political. Or they're political. They're pitch strategies. They uh, Some are throwing cutters more. Some are throwing change-ups more. They're not throwing hard. So in a league now where it's just velocity, 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 the Giants were like, nope, we're going to do ground ball, ground ball, ground ball. We're going to change up what works. Like They are pulling dudes who are just out of baseball for a couple of years. And like Sammy, what is it? Sammy Long, is that his name? Um, mm. They just... It, it's just amazing that this rotation and this group has come to go the way it has their defense is right there with the Astros the best defense in baseball so if you're gonna have all this BABIP action then you better have a good defense behind these pitchers and they do and then you know uh this just all works and I think it is sustainable that the Giants are just gonna be there and like you uh, said with the fan graphs like they may not win the division but I think this is a playoff team and Man, if we get Giants Padres as the wild card matchup, whew, like Oh this boy, Gelsman Darvish?
1: Let, let let's do
0: that. Mm. I mean, I want Dodgers Padres as the wild card matchup. Like that that is what America needs. The Padres versus the Dodgers in a wild card matchup. But um yeah, what what do you make of that piece and what do you make of just the Giants still truck chugging along in a very different, unique way this year?
1: Well, I mean, this is, this is the plan they had in the first place, right? When Farhan Zaidi took over is that they were going to get younger and more flexible and deeper. And I think a lot of success of this particular Giants team and some of those older guys like Posey and Crawford. And when he was healthy, uh, Evan Longoria kind of bouncing back to being more like their past all-star selves. But you've also got contributions, I mean, and, and Brandon Bell, too, I guess you can add to that pile. But that's mostly on the hitter side of things. I think pitcher-wise, well, for starters, hitter-wise, they've got a lot of better depth now than I think that you know previous Giants teams ever had. Guys like Austin Slater, Wilmer Flores, Mauricio Dubon, uh, this kid they just sent down, Lamonte Wade Jr. You know, there, there are some there are useful pieces in their minor league system who have actually been able to contribute when they've been called up and when they've been needed. Similarly, I think they've gotten a lot more of that pitching depth now. They have an actual rotation now with Gaussman and Um, They've been able to over... Like, and that's kind of what you need when you're going to rely on guys like Alex Wood or a 35-year-old Johnny Cueto or whatever Aaron Sanchez is at this point. You need to have those backup options. And those didn't really exist before. And granted, like, yeah, this is still a team that had to give two start, two starts to current Scott Kazmier. But I think there's just more... I do feel like there's more depth. Obviously, this is a good hitting team... That has, you know, uh, sorry, that is taking advantage of again, like I said, uh, older guys being back. But it just does feel like this is a, a a deeper team overall with more options for when things get hairy. I think the only not, I think the major issue they probably have right now is the bullpen. Probably would like another more consistent arm in there. I think if you're looking at what the Giants are going to be doing at the deadline, if they are a legitimate team, and if they you know, if they are going to buy, and I think they, they kind of have to, I think what you're probably looking for is maybe some outfield help, maybe a back-of-the-rotation starter, and probably, more likely than not, I think the big um, emphasis will be bullpen help. Uh, I know we didn't really mention with Gibson, but this is a team that would make a lot of sense for Kyle Gibson, just a guy who mm-hmm. can just be in the middle of the rotation and just gobble things, who's so going to be cheap next year as well. Um, who probably won't cost that much in prospects, I don't think. Even if he is pitching well, and even if he is cheaply signed for next year, he is still Kyle Gibson, he's still in his 30s. You know, that's not the greatest. But, you know, I I think that's someone who... I mean, obviously, Kyle Gibson has been on a lot of teams, but I think especially a team that already has a number one guy in place and really just needs rotation depth more than anything, I think he makes a lot of sense
0: there yeah i i just think it's a cool story like i like when the one thing that scares me is like i think he referred to him as the tampa bay rays of the nl now and i'm like well san francisco is a gigantic market let's not encourage uh zaidi in this front office to to not spend in the coming years that uh just because the rebuilds just a it's a different kind of rebuild but i think this is something that it feels like the giants are not going anywhere which is bad news for the diamondbacks uh the rockies do not matter but it's also i guess bad news for the padres too with just how much they invested in this offseason that the giants just came out of nowhere but it's also just cool as a reminder that baseball can be weird and that just because this is what we think going into the year this is how all this will go you know sometimes it just doesn't go that way it's cool that the giants are just an out of nowhere team because it feels like that's harder and harder to do now in today's baseball
1: yeah and and i think like you said that if, if anyone's most pissed about this, like you said, it's the Padres, because like you said, they, they put so much effort and money and work into this offseason to cement themselves as a top-five NL team and certainly a real NLS contender. Now they have this out-of-nowhere giant team they have to deal with that might push them not just into a wild-card spot, but also into the visitor's side, the visitor's wild-card spot. You know, they didn't even get the home game for that one, which I, I imagine would be huge for San Diego. So... Yeah, I imagine AJ Preller is probably not particularly happy with how quickly the Giants have managed
0: to turn that around. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think so either. John Taylor, what uh, can we check out from you across uh, the Twitter sphere, fangrafts.com? What uh, should the listeners do if they are on the fence about being a subscriber to Fangraphs.com?
1: Well, I'd just say for starters, if you become a, F- a Fangraph subscriber, especially if you subscribe to our yearly ad-free model, you get to browse FanGraphs ad-free, which makes for a much nicer, faster, and more pleasant browsing experience. But overall, if you sign up for a FanGraphs membership, it basically just keeps FanGraphs in business. All our money goes toward uh, paying our writers, paying for server space, adding new stats. You know, we're, we're trying to add new stats and features all the time. We've we've added a lot of the. Uh, stat cast stats now to our player pages and to our leaderboards, so that you know you can just have everything in one nice place we got to piece out if you're interested as to what the fangraphs tools can do for you just as a casual reader there's a, there's a good piece from yesterday just from our ben clemens just a quick overview of what tools are useful if you want to do your own trade deadline preview stuff if you're out there looking to write about the deadline podcast about the deadline tweet about the deadline and you want to sound smart and intelligent go over to fangraphs use our tools uh, the one thing I do want to plug for today—I don't know what time this is going to go out—but regardless of what time it goes out, check it out. We have a live watch along for today's YouTube game between Oakland and Texas, featuring Eric Longenhagen over on our Twitch page, twitch.tv/fangraphs live, or on our Fangraphs homepage. We'll have a live stream there too. There are going to be some special guests who have yet to be announced, but there will be folks dropping in, hanging out with Eric as he talks about the game, about the farm systems, about how each organization works. So stop by, around, stop by for that, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, if you're interested. We try to do those semi-regularly, and we always advertise them ahead of time, so be sure to check that out. Uh, otherwise, yeah, just keep on coming to Fangraphs. sign up for a membership if you are not a member, and help us stay in business and keep doing cool baseball stuff.
0: All right, well, go do that if you are not already. John, thank you, as always, for the time. We will talk next week. Go Vols! go uh
1: go is that is that the way it is go balls you don't you don't have like a, your own like boomer sooner or war
0: eagle or nothing i mean there's go big orange there's vfl ball for life but go balls is just a- go balls fine okay go balls there you go i love it bye john
1: All right. nicely done nephew chase thomas podcast hell yeah